Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 1 is where we are tonight, 2 Samuel chapter 1. Um, and we're picking up a study that actually we've had, I was going to say a fortnight, but it's actually, it's been longer than that. It's been three weeks since we're in the study. Um, two weeks ago, we showed Incredible Creatures That Defy Evolution. It's a great video, you can watch it online, but it just goes through animals that it just shows there's no way they could possibly evolve. They would have died trying. <laughs> it just doesn't work like a giraffe. It has valves in its neck when it puts its head down. If it didn't have the valves, it would hemorrhage. All its blood would go to its brain. But those valves close. And then when it stands up again, those valves open. And so all the blood flows again so it doesn't pass out and get eaten by a lion. And I mean, it's just stuff like that. It was kinda, it's always good to go back and watch that. He was a scientist that uh, came to faith. He was an evolutionist, but came to faith. Um, his name's Joe Martin. Think. And um, he came to faith because some of his students challenged him and said, How is it that you're, you know, that these animals could evolve and they can't? And when he realized that, he really struggled for five years. He's like, you know, working through it, but then he came to faith in God and creation. And he's a creation scientist now. And so praise God for that. Neat story. All right. Um, and then last week, like I said, we just prayed. We needed to pray, and it was precious. We had good prayer time, and it was encouraging. And so that's good. We'll pray here tonight as well. Uh, but we're back to the study tonight. So uh, to just kind of recap the story, um, who David is, David was a shepherd boy that God chose to be the second king of Israel. The first king rebelled against God in pride and didn't obey God. Um, and David went out and fought against Goliath, and that brought him some notoriety. Um, and then he came into Saul's kingdom, and he was a servant to Saul. And then Saul began to get jealous because David was a great warrior, even though he's, uh, you know, I mean, you look at him, he was a shepherd boy, obedient son. All of a sudden now he's, he's, uh, he's not a, a big man like King Saul as far as height, um, but he is a um, God-blessed man. And he's, he's doing what he's doing and trusting God. Um, and so Saul tries to kill him. Saul becomes his mortal enemy. And David's running the wilderness, hiding from King Saul. And this takes place for years and years and years. And I might be getting ahead of myself what I'm going to share right now. But, um, and then eventually, uh, there were a couple times, like I said on Sunday, uh, David could have taken Saul's life. But he didn't do that. He didn't take matters into his own hands. Uh, he let God take care of it. And then um, three weeks ago, we saw the battle. And we saw King Saul fall. He's dead. Um, sadly, one of uh, the best friends of David, Jonathan, also died. And I'm going to speak about him tonight. We're going to speak about this tonight. And so that's kind of where we're at in the story. So um, the Philistines have just defeated the armies of Israel. Saul and his three sons killed in battle. Uh, David is at the ruins of his city in Ziklag. Uh, it's where he was. And the man comes and says that um, King Saul is dead and um, brought the news to David. He embellished the story, hoping for reward. You might remember that. And so he comes and tells David, thinking David's going to be all excited. You know, his mortal enemy is dead. Uh, but the man lies about the fact of how he died. Rather than saying Saul killed himself because he was struck by archers, and then he falls on his sword, uh, he said, I, I slew him because he said, take my life, take my life, you know. And he made up the story, uh, and, it's, and he thought David would reward him for killing his enemy. Instead, David said, your blood be upon your own hand, and he killed uh, that man. And so, again, our eyes come into the story, but now David is going to lament what's taking place. We're focusing in on this story. So this is no ordinary man, as I said. Um, he was just a shepherd boy. Uh, then he was a brave uh, shepherd. He's a fearless soldier. Uh, he's a great musician. 
And so he comes in, I didn't mention this, but he comes into King Saul's court and he plays his harp. And so he's uh, gifted in that way. He's also a gifted poet. Um, God gives people different gifts and David had the gift of poetry. And so I, I've said to some of you recently that the Psalms is a Hebrew songbook. Uh, David is the human author of the majority of the Psalms that we have in our Bible. Okay, and so he's a gifted poet. And so we have before us tonight David's lamentation upon the death of the king and his sons. And like the Lord Jesus, David did not rejoice when his enemy fell, but he humbly um, looked to God and was sad that the king of Israel had died and that Israel had themselves lost this battle. All right, and so let's go to prayer, ask for God's help as we come to the word of God tonight. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to look into it this evening. We do ask that the Spirit of God will give us uh, insight and wisdom into this uh, man's life. You know, it's very interesting to me. Uh, the Bible's all about Jesus Christ. But as far as a human story within the word of God, I, I, I don't doubt that I'm right in saying this. I really believe that uh, the, the next one in line as far as the most information in the Bible about them would be David, the life of David. So it's been a good study for us, Lord, to go through all these scriptures about this man and look into his life and learn about him and his character. He was a man after God's own heart. It would be good for us to pattern our life after David uh, in most ways, except where David erred against thee. And so, Lord God, help us uh, to uh, be discerning and to follow as godly men, men that love you and men that wanted to serve you. And then, Father, we pray for the children tonight. Bless their class. We pray they have a great class. Thank you for each one that's out tonight. It's good to see uh, the kids here in the midweek. We pray bless their class. And uh, we just look to you uh, for your enablement tonight. I can't speak without your help, so I pray God guide me as I speak. It is in Christ that we pray. Amen. Okay, and so uh, we see in the first verses of this uh, text, uh, the poet and the military strategist, all right, both come out. And so you see that what we look at and say, well, that's kind of a light side of a person. When you look at that, they, they, they write poetry. On the other hand, the man's a great warrior and military strategist. And so the poet, uh, verse 17 is where we're at. And so chapter 1 of 2 Samuel and verse 17. It says, and David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. So what we're going to study tonight is poetry. It's a you know, it's like it's like going to the funeral of somebody and, and somebody stands up to uh, just give a statement about the person's life. It's really what we're going to listen into tonight uh, as David does that. But then you see the military strategist in verse 18. It says, also he bade them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Behold, it's written in the book of Jasher. Uh, now, a couple things. Uh, the book of Jasher, you might wonder, wait a second. You know, I know my Bible names, <laughs> you know, the names of the books. And there's no book of Jasher, okay? I just tell you, don't even bother uh, to try to look through your Bible to find it. And so what is the book of Jasher? The book of Jasher was a historical book containing Hebrew songs and poems, and some of them would have been about the battles and things that Israel had faced. Joshua, in the book of Joshua, also referred to the book of Jasher. He does that in Joshua chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. Um, and so what this uh, text is, it's the song by David, or called the Lament of the Bow. And so, uh, about this, about the scriptures, um, the, the Bible, sixty-six books that the Holy Spirit guided and instructed in and gave us as His Word. Now, were there other writings? Let me give you an illustration. Did Paul write anything else to other churches other than the churches that we have a record of? Absolutely. Did Peter write other things to other churches other than what we have a record of? 
Yes, okay. So, I mean, there would be other good things that people wrote, but not inspired things, not God-breathed things. The Scripture is different than that. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So the Word of God uh, is a specific set of texts that God gave, and that is His words. So the book of Jasher is not that, but um, this, this poetry that is also recorded in the Word of God is recorded, as David said, in the book of Jasher. Now, archery, about archery in the Bible, because it does say he bade them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Okay, Archery was in the Bible well before David's time. Ishmael, Abraham's son in the flesh. In other words, uh, Isaac was a son of promise. Ishmael was a son by Hagar. And if you don't know the story, it's okay. Uh, you can catch up on that later. But Genesis 21, 20, it says God was with the lad, and he grew, and he dwelt in the wilderness, and he became an archer. Okay, so there was archery back in Abraham's time, well before uh, David. Jonathan, you remember in our story, there's a part in the story where Jonathan's going to come and warn David, but they're going to have a secret signal. The signal is if I shoot the bow uh, and the arrow goes to a certain point, that's a sign of this. And if, it, if I say to the lad, go do that, then you understand that my father has treachery designed against you, okay? So you re we remember seeing Jonathan already in our story uh, shooting the bow. Okay, that's King Saul's son. Uh, and so uh, archery was around, but he says... We've got to do something more about this. The Philistines, maybe in the time that he was dwelling among them, and again, if you're not familiar with the story, uh, David went to the Philistines, the enemies of Israel, for safety against King Saul. Uh, it was the Philistines that came in battle against Israel, but David was not with them when they came. God, you know, God, God did something that took him out of there, the burning of Ziklag. And um, 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 I'm trying to think of the name of the, 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 the captain of the Philistines, Achish said, uh, you know, the other lords of the Philistines said, they don't want you to go because they think you'll go back to your master and you'll turn against us and fight against us. Uh, and that's a whole other part of the story, okay? Uh, but uh, David had observed the Philistines doing archery. Maybe he realized that's a strong point that our enemy has. We need to get better at that. And so he began to instruct uh, the military to work on the archery. Now, David's military in Ziklag had also gained some expert archers, okay? Uh, so in his own group, you might remember that David had 600 men that came out to him initially that were his, his fighting force. But he gained some when he was in Ziklag. 1 Chronicles 12.1 tells us, Now these are they that came to David to Ziklag, while he yet kept himself close because of Saul, the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men, helpers of the war. They were armed with bows and could use both the right hand and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of the bow even of Saul's brethren of Benjamin, okay? So um, in the United States, baseball is a big sport. And in baseball, uh, you've got a left-handed pitcher, you've got a right-handed pitcher. Uh, and you've got batters that come up, and they're left or right-handed generally, okay? And and and, to, and I forget what it is. You know, a right-handed batter is maybe better against a right-handed pitcher. A left-handed batter is better against a left-handed pitcher, I think is what it is. And so... Uh, you're at a disadvantage if you come to the plate and you're a right-handed batter and you've got, say, a left-handed pitcher. But there's some guys that can walk up there and they're switch hitters. They're ambidextrous, okay? So their eye, which is, I mean, their coordination must be intense to be able to watch a ball come in at 90 miles an hour, 95 miles an hour, and be able to connect with it from either side. And so what the scripture tells us about these men is they were ambidextrous, okay? So they, uh, there were some skilled archers with David. Maybe those men are going to be the ones that are going to teach the rest of the army uh, to do better uh, with their skill 
uh, level in that. By the way, there's Saul's brethren of Benjamin, while Jonathan, Saul's son, who was an archer as well. And, but David looked at that and said, as a military strategist, we've got to do better at this. Uh, Saul was defeated by the bow. Okay, and so now into the lamentation, the lament of the bow. And so uh, David's lament begins by speaking of desperation and disgrace. And so we see the desperation. It says in verse 19, The beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? Okay, um, uh, they're, they're in desperation. We, we would say they're in desperate straits. Desperate straits is a state of extreme distress, okay? Uh, a narrowing. Israel was in a very uh, tight place now with everything that was happening. Their king had died, and they'd been defeated in battle uh, by the uh, Philistines. You know, all of us witnessed the national sorrow when Queen Elizabeth passed away. It was pretty remarkable. Uh, was it last year? <laughs> you know, I think it was. It's been a busy uh, year, but she passed away. And, I mean, the, the public uh, mourning about that, and, you know, the monarch has died, and all the people watching the coronation and things to follow uh, with that, a lot of people were involved uh, in that. And so uh, she had been a tower of strength and stamina in her life. She was a servant of the people. She represented Britain well. As far as it appeared, a very moral person, a person that st stood in Britain for morality. And so likewise, the earthly uh, king of Israel has seemed indomitable. We looked at Queen Elizabeth. You'd never think she's going to die. <laughs> I mean, she was just uh, full of life and vigor right to the end. And I mean, uh, her career of service, you know, uh, and so... Uh, Israel had maybe looked at King Saul. He's youthful, he's tall, he's fit, he's a good soldier, and all of a sudden uh, he has gone out to battle and he has died. Now, uh, beyond that, imagine if our monarch had died in war and we had lost to an enemy. All right, that's different. That's a step way beyond what we faced when uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, passed away. And so uh, Saul has died on the battlefield. And so they're in a very uh, tight place. The beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? And then the disgrace, the disgrace. It says in verse 20, Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. And circumcision was a sign of the covenant given to Abraham. Uh, it, it, again, we can't delve into everything. Uh, tonight we have talked about it before, but when it says uncircumcised, it's speaking about somebody that is not a part of the people of God. Okay, the children of Israel uh, had entered into that covenant with God. And in the New Testament, it speaks about circumcised in our hearts. When we accept Christ, that, that sign of the covenant takes place in our heart, that we're the seed of God and the righteous uh, uh, people. Okay, so the unrighteous had won the battle. You know, have you ever suffered a defeat and it wasn't just that you lost, it was that they won? <laughs> it wasn't just that, uh, you know, I, I, I hate to lose. It's like, I hate to lose to them. <laughs> you know, it's like you had a, a sibling. Uh, how many guys have siblings? I know these guys. All right. Uh, yeah. And so uh, your sibling beats you in something, right? Again, it's not just that you lost. It's that competitive nature. I, I don't want to lose to uh, you. Maybe a team sport. There's, there's teams, football teams. So I'm not a big uh, football uh, person, I would enjoy watching it, but I don't know the teams and such. But there will be certain teams that, if they're going to lose, they don't want to lose to them. If they lose to them, I mean, that's like that's like the worst. I mean, it's, it's not just suffering and losses that uh, they want. Uh, imagine, uh, and so it's not just the defeat, it's the disgrace. Imagine if Hitler had defeated Britain, 
What if he had won uh, back then? You know, he'd still be alive and well, possibly at least for many years. He would be gloating over the victory and constantly, you know, showing that, uh, you know, he, you know, evil had uh, prevailed. And so uh, Israel has not just been defeated, but the Philistines had triumphed. And so the trophy of King Saul's head, we talked about that, his head was cut off. It was taken into the idolatrous temples, and uh, they were uh, exalting their gods that are false gods, saying, our God defeated the God of Israel, again, to the disgrace of God. And so David's feeling all that as he writes his lament. Uh, Tell it not, you know, in, in these places. And, uh, but sadly, it was being told in those places, all right? Unless the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice or triumph. Okay, going on. David's lament speaks of uh, drought and decay, drought and decay. Now, David turns his eyes from what took place with King Saul, and he looks at the field of battle, okay? He's going to look at uh, that area. And so the drought that he talks about, verse 21, it says, He mountains of Gilboa, that's where the battle took place. Let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offerings, okay? Uh, since the battlefield had been in a place of such disgrace, uh, David looks at it and says, I, I rebuke life from even prospering there. Now, David's not praying to God, in fact, to withhold rain. He's not asking God that there actually that actually take place. He's just looking at it thinking that place deserves no moisture. It deserves no blessing from God because it's a place where uh, it, uh, Saul and Israel fell. And so poetically, <clears throat> he is saying that's worthy uh, to be cursed because of what took place. Now, unlike what we saw Sunday night, we saw Jesus cursing the fig tree, uh, and the fig tree withers up and dies. Okay, that's different. Jesus actually cursed it. David isn't actually, uh, you know, with the power of God, actually cursing that land, but he's saying that land is not worthy uh, to have the blessing of God because of the sorrow and the heartache that took place there. Okay, so he calls for a drought. Uh, the decay, uh, it says uh, in the middle of that verse, uh, so around verse 21. Uh, for there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away, the shield of Saul, as though he had not been anointed with oil. And uh, when I first looked at that, I thought, oh, it's speaking about uh, when they would uh, be anointed to be king. You know, they'd be anointed with oil. But that's not what it's actually speaking about. It's speaking about the shield of Saul as, as though uh, it had not been anointed with oil, okay? That it hadn't uh, been prepared uh, for battle. So it, the oil would be put upon it to keep it from tarnishing. And so if you had uh, armor like that, that would be part of the way that you kept your armor. You'd be putting oil on it so that uh, when you go to battle or out in the moisture and things like that, it wouldn't just rust up. Um, we've enjoyed recently uh, watching a show that we found. Uh, it's called Battle Factory. And it's pretty impressive to watch how something is made of uh, you know armaments and things like that. So we uh, we saw that they take an Abrams tank, uh, and rather than build a new one, which costs seven million dollars, uh, for a million dollars they can take it and refurbish it. So they take it, they take the turret out, they take it apart, uh, they sandblast the whole thing, uh, and just kind of start over. But one of the things that they do, they put a protective paint on it to keep it from rusting. So even in our day, all right, we're how many how many years past? 3,000 years uh, since David, uh, and we're still, with our military equipment, being very careful that uh, we cover it so that it doesn't tarnish. Um, our family visited Cambridge, and there was a museum there. I walked in there, and there's actually coats of mail. So you got the, the old armor and stuff, you know, that people would wear 
Uh, and that would have been, some of that would have been similar in David's day that they had these different things that they would put on. And again, all that had to be well oiled, or be, I suppose it'd be like the, uh, the, the Tin Man, or the Wizard of Oz, you know, freezing up or something. And so when David speaks about the fact that it's not oiled, it's like it's no longer battle ready. It's like it's not fit for battle. It's like it's out there again in a disgraceful state. And so he saw Saul's shield lying tarnished and decaying. Again, he's just speaking poetically about what took place and, and lamenting that. Next, David's lament speaks of death and determination. Okay, death and determination. So Israel had been defeated, but the enemy had not won the field without losses. In other words, uh, the Philistines didn't just walk in, no, no uh, loss of life or anything like that. They had suffered as well. And so he speaks about the death of the enemy, verse 22. It says, from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty. All right? And uh, these, are, these are terms of the, um, the gruesomeness of the battle in the battlefield. Okay? So uh, Saul and Jonathan didn't go to the grave alone that day. Many of the enemy perished as, as well. You know, uh, in modern life, we sanitize everything. And uh, I don't know if you ever think about it, but you go to a grocery store, and many people uh, today are anti-killing animal, anti uh, you know, these, these ideas are like hunting uh, to them would be worse than the, the kind of the worst thing in the world. Very sadly, they'll murder a baby and the woman never think about it. Uh, but if an animal dies, it's, it's, it's outrageous, you know. Uh, but it's like we are sanitized our society to the point where we forget that that nice meat that we enjoy eating uh, that's in the grocery store actually comes from a slaughtered animal. That that is the way God's provided for us to eat. And I can show you verses about that in the Word of God, such as arise, Peter, kill, and eat. Okay, animals were created for food and that sort of thing. But we, uh, my point being, we, we sanitize in our mind. We don't want to think about the bloodletting. We don't want to think about the death, uh, you know, that it takes place for us to be able to eat. And again, just it's the way modern life is. We don't have to slaughter for ourselves. We don't have to do that to put it on our table. It's done uh, for us. When a war takes place, there's a public outcry. Why? Because war's not pretty, right? And they, they for some reason, people think uh, if there's, if there's uh, somebody's maimed or somebody's killed or, uh, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying that's good and I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that if there's a war, we ought to understand that there's going to be a casualty, that there's going to be a blood loss and things like that. You know, warfare is not pretty. And so when David laments what's taking place, David is, is speaking about the, the gory reality of the battlefield. So he speaks about the blood loss. He speaks about uh, the fat uh, of the mighty uh, in that account. Okay, And again, sometimes you read an account of the Civil War uh, in the United States, it was anything but civil, they say. Uh, and But you, you read accounts that you just can't imagine, just go, uh, warfare is horrible, and it is. But David speaks about that. And then the determination. The bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. So Jonathan again had his bow in battle, and the sword of Saul was out, and it found its mark at times as well. And so uh, sometimes we think because David outmaneuvered Saul, you know, there's times that if you've been here for the story, uh, uh, Saul's right there, but he can't get David. David's got a smaller force, he's got a big army. Uh, and he goes away unsuccessful. And we think, oh, you know, uh, Saul's a bad warrior or something like that. But no, Saul's a great warrior. It was God and his providence protecting David. And so no doubt many had died on the other side in the battle as well. And so, I mean, 
Saul and Jonathan, to their credit, died with their boots on, even though the death of Saul was the judgment of God against him. And, and God had said that this would take place, yet they died fighting uh, for Israel. And so David speaks about that. Continuing on. And so David's lament next speaks of daring and delight. Okay, daring and delight. So the daring first is Jonathan and Saul. And again, they've been strong warriors. Uh, Saul hadn't always been so impossible as he was uh, facing David. Certainly Jonathan was not. And so verse 23 says, Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives. You know, when Saul was first anointed, his humility was agreeable. You know, the Bible's uh, Samuel said, um, when thou was little in thine own eyes, God anointed thee to be king over Israel. So there was a humility about Saul to begin with, but then he became king and he became proud. Uh, and then he went against David, he turned his back on God. That's not beautiful. That's not comely. But David, David isn't remembering the bad Saul. David's remembering the good Saul. He's, he's thinking back about uh, this man that had stood head and shoulders above the crowd, you know. In appearances, uh, he looked very kingly. When somebody would look at him, he was of a, a big stature, and, and uh, so he, he speaks about that. In fact, when Samuel, remember when he went to get the next king, he goes to David's house, the house of Jesse, and uh, I think there are seven brothers that David had. Uh, and he views them, and he meets the oldest boy, Eliab, and Eliab is a big guy. And Samuel looks at that and says, surely that's the Lord's anointed. Why? Because he looked at King Saul, and Saul was that way. So he looks at Eliab and thinks, oh, this has got to be the next king. Uh, and God says to Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And so, uh, but in appearances, and he maybe even personality to some degree, at the beginning, Saul had been a beautiful uh, person, a comely person, certainly Jonathan was, but sin had disfigured the king, but not the son. But they had both been well-mannered men at times. Jonathan and Saul had never parted ways. It says, and in their death, they were not divided. Okay, do you uh, see that? Verse 23, in their death, they were not divided. And so, um, Jonathan is a good picture of submission in God's word. King Saul was not a great father. He was not a great man. Towards the end, I mean, he was against God, away from God. And yet, uh, what we see of Jonathan is that he was always in submission to Saul. The differences between uh, Jonathan and Saul had to do with their relationship to David and their relationship with God. King Saul was David's sworn enemy, hunting him, and he was against God, uh, disobeying God. Jonathan was David's sworn friend, helping him, and living for God. And Jonathan and David in particular were very close because they both loved God. And so Jonathan had died defending his father and Israel's king. They stayed together in battle. And then these men were both warriors in their own rights. Uh, notice again, I, and you know tonight it's kind of an interesting study. It's not a normal study because we don't normally take a poetic eulogy, uh, you know, and just parse it out and go through it. But David is uh, surprisingly to us mourning you know, we'd expect David to be exalted. Hey, it's great. Like, the king is dead. The witch, you know, I, I guess Wizard of Oz again. Forgive me for going <laughs> But the witch is dead. The witch is dead. The, the wicked witch is dead. You know, you expect David to kind of get excited. But he doesn't. Because David had the heart of God. Uh, and there's some uh, great lessons that we can learn from that. So he looks, he's looking at the strengths of these men. Rather than criticizing them, rather, rather than being negative, even about King Saul, uh, he's speaking well of them. And so the poet chooses the greatest examples in nature to illustrate his subject. Uh, the eagle, okay? So he says, they, are, they were swifter than eagles. 
they were stronger than lions. Okay, the eagle, eagle is the king of the air. I, I was in Iowa in November, and actually uh, I saw a group of about 10 or 11 bald eagles that were up in a tree. It's a majestic bird, it's a powerful bird. There by my mom and dad's house, there was another eagle perched up in a tree. I was able to show mom and dad. That bird was just sitting there for quite some time. Beautiful, you know, big uh, white head, you know, and just really uh, gorgeous uh, animal. And then the lion, the king of the jungle, I saw a lion in Iowa as well, just a mile from my mom and dad's house, but it's at the Des Moines uh, Blaine Park Zoo uh, that's there. But I mean, it's a fierce animal. So uh, David chooses the king of beasts, you know, the king of birds, and uh, a majestic and a powerful bird. And he illustrates these men's lives by uh, these uh, creatures. And so again, David's eulogy does not disgrace them, though he could have. He could have spoke evil, but he didn't. And there's a lesson there for us. And then the delight, okay, so uh, we see the daring and the delight. Uh, verse 24, it says, Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with other delights, who put in, on ornaments of gold upon your apparel. Okay, so uh, he's speaking about the fact that Israel had greatly benefited under King Saul. They had, they had been victorious in battle, so when you go to battle, you've got something called the spoils of war. And so you come back, you've, you've gone to battle, you've defeated your enemy, you've taken their wealth away from them, you come back, who gets that? Well, I mean, the people do. And so they were blessed by that. So David speaks about that. Their economy had prospered under Saul. They had scarlet and other delights, ornaments of gold uh, for their apparel. Okay, that had delighted many. They'd been excited about, hey, here comes the king. He's going he's gonna to give us these things. And they had been blessed by that, but now they should wait. Why? Because that was over temporarily until David became king. Of course, the blessings would come again, but not that time, uh, certainly. And so the delight was the, had been in the past uh, when Saul and Jonathan returned from battle. Uh, and then David laments uh, and speaks of distress and downfall. Okay, uh, he had been speaking of the king and Jonathan to this point. At this point, he's going to set aside the king. And he's just going to speak about his best friend, Jonathan. And so the distress... Jonathan is dead. Verse 25. It says, How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? O Jonathan, thou was slain in thy high places. You know, David's just questioning, how can this be? Uh, you know, I, he understands that they're dead, they've been defeated, but he doesn't understand how it took place. Notice what it says, O Jonathan, thou was slain in thy high places. Okay, thy high places speaks about the fact they were slain on Israel's territory on high ground. Okay, high ground, is that good or bad in battle? Good. I mean, that's why every castle you see, it's up on high ground. Why? Because, I mean, that's, uh, you got good defenses, you're able to see everything. And, and so David's looking at it going, how did this happen? How did this happen? How did you fall in that place on home turf? Jonathan, his very best friend, Verse 26, it says, I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. And what he's saying there, it says, he's saying that love that I had for you, past romantic love, okay? Uh, it, it was beyond that, that our kinship was one that is what the Bible speaks about when it says about Jesus, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And that, you, their hearts were united. Now, you may not know this about Jonathan, David had married Jonathan's sister. So what was he? He was his brother-in-law. So these men were uh, brothers. 
Uh, they were very close. Uh, and so David in his heart just cries out. And we saw it already earlier in the text. We saw David weeping uh, because he, he and Jonathan's friendship was broken apart by King Saul chasing him out to the wilderness. They're very close friends. Jonathan came out to the wilderness uh, to minister to David at times and encourage his heart in the Lord. Okay. And so what a characteristic, uh, our characterization of true affection. We could look at that text right there and say, that's the kind of friend I want to be. I want to be that person that has that close uh, relationship, certainly with Christ and with others within the body of Christ. Uh, and then the downfall, verse 27, again, he says, How are the mighty fallen, the weapons of war are perished. You know, when I read a book, I always hate to get to the ending. Are you like that? It's like you're enjoying the book, you're enjoying the book, it's a good story, and you get to the ending. Uh, but the worst thing is when you get to the ending and it's a bad ending, and you're like, no, right? I mean, you, 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 I don't know about you, but I'm always like happy endings. Uh, you know, the, the hero walks off and, you know, he's got, he gets the, he, he wins whatever, and this, that, and the other, and everything's a success. That's why I enjoy it. David looks at that, he's, he's sorry that it's ended, but he's also sorry that it ended so poorly. The mighty perished. The hero, the person that the book should have been about, the person that should have valiantly walked off that battlefield with success had been defeated on the battlefield. No future hope of stories of daring, all hope of reconciliation with David were over. Sad, sad ending. And so some takeaway thoughts for our consideration as we end this evening. Uh, David's lamentation reveals a heart that was not bitter, even though he was severely wrong. How is that possible? How can somebody be chased out? I mean, he lost his best friend, he lost his wife, he lost uh, his position, he was treated as if he was a wicked man, just like the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's uh, forsaken by the king, the person that should have defended him, should have helped him, should have cared for him. His father-in-law, he's wronged in all these ways, but you see no betterment in David. Why? Because David, rather than hating him, did what? He loved him. And so Jesus commands us, he says, love your enemies, do good to them that despitefully use you, pray for them. How, what does that help us with? That helps us not to be bitter. You know, bitterness, uh, the Bible says a root of bitterness springing up in our hearts would defile us. Somebody that's unforgiving, as we said on Sunday night, if I won't forgive somebody, God won't forgive me. Satan loves it if I get to the point where I say, no, forget you. I will never forgive you. I can't say that as a believer because if I say that, God says he will not forgive me as we study on Sunday night. So what's to protect me from the bitterness that gets me to such a bad point in my life? Well, I gotta love that person. Did Jesus do that? Yeah, on the cross he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Right? You know, I mean, Jesus constantly had a love for others, no matter what. And so David's a great picture of Christ and his love. Uh, uh, again, he reveals a heart of love uh, for them. Uh, David's lamentation shows David valued the success of God's people more than his own success. He looked at Israel's defeat and that saddened him, even though it's going to prosper him, him personally. He's going to benefit from this. He's going to uh, he's going to become the king of Judah. Then he's going to become the king of Judah and Israel. That's going to happen. God said it would happen. So this was necessary. But David looks at this with sorrow because God's anointed king had died and Israel had been defeated. Again, we ought to look at that and say, you know what? What matters is the big picture. I don't matter if I get stepped on, something happens to me. That doesn't matter as much as what happens to God and to God's people. 
Uh, his lamentation reveal, reminds us to speak only well of those who have passed into eternity, or even about people that are living. Uh, we don't see David speaking ill of Saul in his life, and in his death, he made a perfect opportunity to say whatever he could have said. He looked at it, and he said everything good that he could possibly say about Saul. That's a lesson to us as well, to speak well of those that are against us. And then uh, David's lament demonstrates a desire for enemies to be silenced, to take away reproach from God's people. David, the, one of the things that broke David's heart is the fact that in all those idol temples, they were going around glorifying their false gods, saying the God of Israel is nothing. That concerned David more than anything. And that ought to be our concern as well. You know, praise God, we want to succeed. We want to uh, get whatever for God and for God's glory here at Southside Free Baptist Church. But our biggest thing ought to be, you know what? Uh, we don't want God's name maligned. Uh, in the places of false worship. We want God lifted up in the eyes of men so that they see that there's a God uh, that is a mighty God and fear Him. All right, so those are some takeaways for us here tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. Thank you that every scripture has a point. And uh, we really see the heart of a man that uh, has God-given grace to love an enemy and to speak well of somebody that was wicked, that hurt uh, him personally. And Father, give us grace to have a deep love for those that would uh, misuse us or abuse us in any way. And Father, to speak well of others that speak ill of us. And Father, to uh, be the friend that we ought to be as we see the love that David had for Jonathan uh, in that strong, strong friendship. God, give us grace to be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. As a family of God, give us grace to encourage and help one another. And thank you for our time together tonight. Your words in Christ's name we pray. Amen.